In these days of a massive pandemic response, the need for caregivers to stay healthy and sane is more important than ever. Let's talk about the soul of caregiving on this special bonus episode of The Nurse Keith Show. Hello and welcome to The Nurse Keith Show. I'm privileged to use this platform to educate and inform you, the Nurse Keith Nation, so that you can take any information you find useful and share it with others. I'm committed to regularly publishing episodes related solely to the COVID-19 pandemic. This particular episode is a special bonus one for you with a dear friend of the pod to talk about caregiving and how important it is at this very crucial time in human history here on this troubled but beautiful planet of ours. And I am joined today by friend of the pod and my new friend and colleague, Edward M. Smink. Edward, thanks for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. It's quite a joy. Oh, it's a pleasure. And you have written a beautiful book called Soul of Caregiving, A Caregiver's Guide to Healing and Transformation. And in the lead up, right at the top of this show, I mentioned that we have this need for caregivers to stay healthy and sane right now. And I would add to that, that they need to feel cared about and loved, right? Because caregivers need care too, don't they? They absolutely do. We're all human. And caregiving is a, a unique vocation. But at the same time, um, who hugs the hugger? You know, who takes care of the caregiver? And caregivers are notorious in not taking care of themselves. And it comes from a, an internal uh, desire to help others. The same skills they use to help others, they can use to help themselves. And if they don't, they often get um, what I call, they experience symptoms of compassion fatigue. They lose their heart. They lose their soul. That's why I called the book The Soul of Caregiving, because I'm concerned that caregivers learn to rediscover or redeclaim those spiritual insights within them, which I call soul, that energy that motivates them, you know, the energy that led them to want to be a caregiver. It's it just an exciting experience to, I use the word, swim in that in that energy, you know, that they know who they are and they know why they're doing something. And um, let me just read something from my book. Please do. The vocation of a caregiver is a deep, artypical calling that sustains and allows one to enter another's life like no other. In those moments where we hold what seems to be unbearable, we stand firm, maybe with our knees shaking and give life to those in need of our care. In holding what seems to be unbearable, we also experience pain and suffering in our acts of caregiving. Caregivers suffer because they care. Who hugs the hugger when he or she is at their wit's end and is often feeling confused, overwhelmed, and even alienated from his or her peers? I want to reach out to all who care selflessly for others. I want to say that your scars or interior wounds that you experience as caregivers because you cared are invitations to rediscover your soul. You are not alone. You are not going mad 
when your soul aches because you have cared. I think it's extremely important that caregivers recognize those interior feelings and are able to discuss them and share them with others to realize they're not going mad. Right. And it's interesting that notion of not going mad, like I said at the top of the show, staying healthy and sane. So we have physical health because caregiving can be physically difficult if you're doing, you know, transfers and that sort of stuff. It can also weigh and wear on the body when we're doing emotional or spiritual care as well. So there's there's the deleterious effects on the body of stress. And then we have the the mental psycho-emotional, psycho-spiritual health. And, you know, you have a master's and a PhD in mythological studies and depth psychology and a master's of arts in counseling psychology. And you've also studied theology, philosophy. So you're steeped in the archetypal world. You're also steeped in Jungian psychology, which I'd like to touch on a little bit. So before we go there, though, I just want to say, when you say the word caregiver or you think of a caregiver, we all picture a different thing. One person might picture a psychologist. One person might picture the spouse of a man with Alzheimer's, like my dad, for instance. What do you picture when you think caregiver or say caregiver? I like to make it very simple. I like to say we are all caregivers, for at the heart of being human is the capacity to care to reach out to another, and to build relationships because of that encounter. It's part of being human. It's the essential aspect of who we are. We do care for each other. Parents care for their children. Spouses care for each other. Children even care for each other. Teachers care for their students. Healthcare professionals you know, physicians, nurses, therapists, ancillary um, hospital employees or care workers, they care. First responders care, firefighters, safety officers, and emergency medical service employees, they care. So you can just go on every occupation. You know, the, the food handlers care. You know, the, the ones who who yes. cook for us care. So we're all caregivers. So right. that's my definition. And I like always to expand it that way because most of us think that caregivers are just those that work in healthcare. Thank you so much, Ed. I mean, I think about cashiers at Trader Joe's right now during the pandemic. They're caring for us by checking out our groceries so we can go home and eat or the people who stock the shelves at our local, the local grocery store. Oh, I appreciate you mentioning that because yeah, it, it's just important that we recognize today. And I think probably one of the silver linings of this pandemic is bringing to awareness what caregivers do. I think that's just so important that finally we know it's a noble calling and vocation. But most people have no idea what a parent um, taking care of a mentally handicapped child goes through, or a, an adult child taking care of their family member that needs help. We have no idea. 
it's all coming into a wonderful perspective that culture and society is recognizing the trauma healthcare um, professionals go through, the trauma that family members go through in caring, you know, the sacrifice and, and I'll use the word suffering. Mm-hmm. You know, compassion comes from the Latin word, two Latin words. The first is come, which means to be with, and pa- passio means to suffer. So if you really have compassion, that means you walk with that, that other person and you do experience with them a, a particular suffering. But it's only in that suffering that you discover insight and are able to be a better caregiver. Mm, oh my gosh. Wow. Well, we could dig into the Jungian part. We could dig into Joseph Campbell and archetypal um, myths. We could look at Buddhist theology around life being suffering and suffering being part of the human condition or even the condition of any sentient being on the planet, right? So, ooh, wow, it's hard to unpack all of this. And I want to now bring in another concept from your book, which is the soul of caregiving. Now, I know Thomas More, the writer, philosopher, has written a lot about soul. I know that that it comes up in Jung's writings and ph- philosophies quite a bit. Not necessarily Freud, definitely Jung. Um, <laughs> so tell us about where soul comes into this and your your sense of what soul really means in this particular context. How would you how would you unpack that for us? Most people, when you hear the word soul, think of ghost. You know, they think of, you know, that part of us that when we die uh, is ended or goes to someplace. I like to consider soul as the integral driving force of being human. There's something deep within us that motivates us, energizes us, gives us life. And that's why I use the word soul, because I was concerned that could caregivers reclaim those interior values and strengths when they're experiencing compassion fatigue. Wow. So you said that soul is the integral driving force of being human. So we're not talking about in a religious context. We're not talking about in that what some call the spirit that leaves the body when the body dies. You're talking about something much deeper than this, right? Soul is the animating force. It, it's, you know, maybe some would call it um, you're talking with yourself. <laughs> Other, others may say that you're, um, you know, you're, you're in touch with your, your, your true self, as Jung would say, the self that is, that is really who you are. You might um, find um, yourself, um, you know, being really confused and all of a sudden you get an insight and all of a sudden the chaos leaves. And then also, and you get this sense of well-being because you have this sense that you're part of something bigger than who you are, but you're also, you also have this sense of, of, of wholeness. That's the word. You have the sense of wholeness. And, you know, you could talk about, 
you know, soul music, you know, mm-hmm. well, what, what does music do? It tickles your soul. You know, you, right. could talk, you could talk about soul food, you know, all the different ethnic um, understandings of food that help you get a sense of um, something deeper. You can talk about having a soulmate. Mm-hmm. You know, what is it that you could connect on this interior, on, on this interior level? So, you know, from a, a, a deeper understanding, I always like to look at at a meaning of something from many viewpoints. Like you look at a crystal, you know, the hues are different as you keep looking at it. Well, it's the same understanding of of soul, that you get this deeper sense of of looking not only at yourself, but at, at reality and at one another. And don't you think at this time of, we're recording this on April 28th, 2020. So the COVID-19 pandemic is still pretty solidly with us around the world, right? So I see the pandemic as one is it's a public health crisis. We, we can't get around that. I also see it, and I've been talking and writing about it as an existential crisis. So if we look at it from the context or the lens of being an existential crisis, and then we think about soul, and then we look at caregiving and all the manifestations of caregiving that you just mentioned several minutes ago, how would you describe that particular zeitgeist that's happening in the world right now between all of these different things you and I have been talking about for the last, you know, 20 minutes or so. Why are, why is there a pandemic? You know, why is there suffering? I mean, that's an existential question that Mm -hmm. um, philosophers and humankind have been dealing for years. Yet within the human spirit, within the human soul, we can find meaning from it. None of us are saying, gee, I'm really happy, you know, to be in quarantine, or I I just love being separated from my family. I love isolation. None of us are saying that. None of us are saying we're horrified, you know, at um, the way some of our political leaders are handling this. Some of us may say, why can't we do this? Let's have protests. Let's open up. Let's open up. You know, the beaches and the parks and the in our stores and movie theaters. Um, there's a real cry because we're suffering, and and my belief is the normal that we're going back to is going to be a different normal. I also believe that we have within us to find meaning. And when we find meaning, isolation moves to solitude. We're able to reflect on the experience to see it, what is it teaching us. So you're saying when we find meaning, isolation becomes solitude. And solitude is a very different, let's use a term, energy or experience than isolation. Isolation means you're isolated, you're walled off from everyone. Whereas solitude is a very different notion, right? Solitude is is wholeness. Solitude is a, I'll use the word communion with yourself, 
I'll use the word, uh, a understanding of others and an understanding of creation. There is a philosopher, um, Houston Smith, he used to teach at, at Berkeley, and he quoted that, and again, we're talking about this notion of solitude. He said, the more you have a sense of who you are as a person, the more you understand others, creation, and the holy other. Hmm. The more you focus on the holy other, the more you experience creation, others, and yourself. The more you, experience, you, you focus on the other, the more you experience the all other, yourself, and creation. Wow. So no matter where you start, mm -hmm. it will lead you to that inner place of yourself. And that's why I like to use the word wholeness. He also quotes something from the um, Hebrew Kabbalah that says, angels appear before a person and they say, behold, behold, behold the face of God. Something deep occurs when we're in touch with who we are as a person, no matter, no matter what our um, spiritual orientation is. We experience ourselves as sacred. Wow. That's what I mean by solitude and wholeness. There's something just creatively wonderful about who we are. That's beautiful. And if we bring that back to the soul of caregiving, right? Your, your book and the thesis of your book about caregiving and the subtitle being A Caregiver's Guide to Healing and Transformation I'm making the assumption, having read a lot of your book, but not the entire thing, I admit, right here on the air, that that there's there's an aspect of being a caregiver where if you're not going to become what you and I might refer to as a wounded healer, for instance, right? And you've mentioned that term. If you're not going to become a wounded healer, don't you have to know yourself pretty well in order to not go to that wounded place and experience compassion fatigue and burnout and all the things we hear about, about nurses and doctors and counselors and family members out there who are suffering so much right now? So what does the caregiver have to do? What's the, what's the switch that gets flipped for that caregiver to go from burning out and moving into compassion fatigue to actually seeing the bigger picture and being able to be more healthy. Well, Charles Figley says that all caregivers, all caregivers experience compassion fatigue because they care. So right up front, it's not something that's irregular. Most of us think that when someone is, is having some psycho-emotional or physical reaction to caring, that, ooh, they have a problem. They need to see a psychiatrist. There's a mental illness going on. You know, I, I, I refute that, as does Charles Figley. Because we care, again, going back to compassion, we suffer with the per persons we deal with. So I, I, I just recently saw a, a photograph of nurses 
surrounding this patient on a ventilator, you know, covered, you know, like in hazmat suits. They look like they look like aliens. Yes. You know, taking care of this patient. So I'm thinking, what is the patient experiencing with these this going on? But what are the what are the nurses experiencing because they can't touch as much as they they can. They can't have eye con- contact because of all the goggles and stuff they're wearing. You know, how do they feel? Well, I'm sure it leads them to the to some sense of uh, psycho-emotional, uh, physical stress. And compassion fatigue can be emotional. It could be physical. It could be... Um, psycho-spiritual, and what happens is a person, I like to use the word, the caregiver becomes a caretaker, which means they've lost the, the motivation of caring. So the caregiver, and I think there might be a nurse, like an ICU nurse listening right now, the caregiver becomes the caretaker, and that's where I think in nursing specifically, and a lot of nurses listen to this podcast, obviously, because it's a nursing career podcast, caretaker makes me think that we're doing the tasks of caring. We're, we're, emptying, we're emptying the fully catheter bag. We're turning the patient. We're monitoring the, their vital signs. We're doing the tasks, but we've lost the other piece. And I'd be interested when... Some of my friends and colleagues who work in ICUs, for instance, in the midst of this pandemic, I'm thinking several and specifically, they wear those suits you're referring to. They're sometimes called cappers, C-A-P-R, or pappers, P-A-P-R, and they're self-contained units, almost like a spacesuit. And I would like to hear (laughs) their take. And I'm going to have some conversations with people offline about this. What is it like to do that care where you have to suit up like that to go into a room? And I was talking to an ICU nurse in California just the other day doing an interview for a magazine, and she was talking about, which I understand already, that they often have the IV poles and everything in the hall, and they run these long lines into COVID-19 patients' rooms. So you don't have to go in as often. And those patients, most of them are in induced comas, but still, they're alive. And we wonder about the effect on, like you said, the patient and the caregiver. So, Ed, you're, you're a depth psychologist. You're, and we're going deep now, so. <laughs> we are. And you're a theologian, and you've studied myth. You, you have a PhD in mythological studies, and you've been... Where does it say you've been a a pastoral counselor? You've been a nurse. You've been a crisis counselor, an executive leader. You've facilitated missions. You've done leadership formation. You've been all through this healthcare spectrum. So, what are we going to do with all these? Let's let's start with healthcare providers. Let's just start there. What are we going to do with all these people? How are we going to work with their secondary trauma? as this pandemic, cross your fingers, lessens and we can start to take a breath. What are we going to, how are we going to help these people? I think it's extremely important. Um, I want to just mention the tragedy of this ER physician who committed suicide the other day. 
And what is the anguish that she felt? Why is suicide increasing among caregivers? My belief, my belief is because they're not being heard. So let me explain that. Please. At the present time, most teams, when they experience difficulty, they go off on their own and they don't discuss it. And they don't discuss it because there's a cultural taboo. The cultural taboo is that you're weak. You're not, you, you know, you're, you have to be superhuman like Superman or Superwoman. And when you feel you're not, who can you talk to about it? And, and what happens is if you, if you take the risk, sometimes you're often shamed or ridiculed. Oh, there's nurse so-and-so, or there's doctor so-and-so. So let me give you two examples. I was working with a person that worked in the emergency medical service, and they went, they went in to a plane crash, single-engine plane crash, and they weren't there in, in time, and they actually witnessed the plane blowing up and the pilot being killed. Oh, her team went back, and they were having all these symptoms of, the, of that tragedy. So, number one, we're human, and if we experience tragedy, it affects us. That's number one. Okay. Number two, she decided that she would join the voluntary debriefing group, and eventually she became the leader of it. But she said her teammates called it the crybabies club. Okay, that's mm. prevalent among healthcare professionals. You have to have a stiff upper lip. You have to just stuff your feelings. You can't express what's going on. The second incident it was is a doctor that I know who works in a large neonatal intensive care unit. And I said, well, gosh, you know, that's often very tragic, you know, and, and you're dealing with babies dying all the time. And he said, yes. And I said, can you talk to one of your peers about that? And he said, oh, my God, if I did, they would think I was a bad doctor. So I, that's the prevalence, you know, um, among firefighters, first responders, police you know, probably educators, um, parents admitting to their spouses what's going on. You know, I, I had a client who said to me, you know, I really need help. You know, I'm going crazy taking care of, of my of father who, who has Alzheimer's. And I said, is there anyone to help you? And she said, oh, well, my husband wants to help. And, and I said, did you ask him? No. Like, duh, because she would have to admit she needed help. So we're talking about vulnerability. So that's, the, that's, that's what's going on. My recommendation, which I believe the, the pandemic will help, instead of individuals experiencing this massive woundedness, they are collectively experiencing it. 
we all are collectively experiencing this pandemic. Well, why not make the team the source of healing? Why not make the team the debriefing where each of them can say, we're all in this together, we're all experiencing this, it's okay to be vulnerable, we don't have to make excuses, we're not going crazy, we're just experiencing trauma that's overwhelming. That's a new paradigm I wish we can do. So you asked, what can we do? Let's have more debriefings. Let, let them be being paid for. Let the shifts include time for caregivers to come together and, and debrief. No matter how busy it is, it's always going to be busy. But it's, it's always over, it's, it's overwhelming today because of, of, the, of the massive people that are, that are so sick and they crash so easily. You know, that brings up an institutional issue. You know, if people are fragile and, and they have secondary um, frailties, do they have an advanced directive? How can people help the health givers? <laughs> you know, that they can say, move to comfort care. I mean, it's emotional for caregivers to experience someone dying. It's more emotional when they have to do a code doing CPR when they know the outcome is futile. Yes, and the lay public doesn't necessarily understand what a code is because they've seen it on TV and or movies, and it's pretty sugar-coated and is not quite as realistic. And the caregivers, the nurses, doctors, respiratory technicians, everyone else, they understand the ramifications of calling a code and the, the pain that one experiences in the sense of failure or futility when it doesn't work, and it often doesn't work. I mean, often does not. So the first thing is to recognize that there's an issue. The second step is to be able to, to talk to someone that will listen to you, not to give advice, but that someone that you know you're being heard. That's why all the nurses and doctors and therapists are out there on the street saying, do you hear me? Do you hear? Now, I believe they're unconsciously treating compassion fatigue mm -hmm. because they're, they're not afraid to talk, they're not afraid to feel, and not, they're not afraid to trust the community. This is what's going on, hmm. you see? So that's the second step, and th this is according to Eric Gentry, Dr. Eric Gentry. And, and once you're heard, I mean, have you ever had an experience in your life when you really knew you were heard? Absolutely, I have. It frees you. It allows you to make choices that prevent you from continuing in compassion fatigue and moving to self-care and self-reliance when you're heard. And those are your three steps for eliminating the symptoms of compassion fatigue. If you could send those to me in text form, we'll put them in the show notes so that people can print them out and put them on their desk and put them on their mirror and remember those and hang them in the, the nurse's break room or the doctor's break room at the hospital or the, or the clinic. Yes, it, it, it's in the book. So I'll, I'll just pull it out from the book. Great. That would be wonderful. And, you know, as we slowly start to wrap up here, you mentioned to me 
in our correspondence prior to this interview, the notion of compassion resilience. So could you tell us, I can imagine what that is, obviously, and I think listeners might too, but in your words, what is compassion resilience? Well, just as you have compassion fatigue because you care, and you lose a sense of your um, emotional, psychological, and spiritual center, compassion resilience is the sense of well-being, that you maintain your sense of self, your sense of um, psychosocial, spiritual, and physical well-being. So it's almost like it's almost like creating boundaries. It's almost like saying, if I'm overextended, that, that's telling me something. That means I have to do something instead of just putting up with it. It's telling me that I have the capacity to make, it, make decisions of self-care. Now, self-care could be something as simple as taking a hot bath. You know, self-care can be talking to your spouse or a, a close friend, a soulmate. Self-care could be, unfortunately, no, you can't, having a massage or getting your hair done. Uh-huh. But self-care now is for myself. I, you know, I had to figure out how to cut my hair. And, you know, many women today are saying, oh, my hair, what do I do? And they're figuring out something new. So even the, even the, the, the crisis mm-hmm. <laughs> of not going to the hairdresser and my roots are going to show is <laughs> forcing them to be recreative. That's, right. that's an right. example of self-care. And when they're in touch with that, can you sense the resilience? Can you sense, oh, I, I'm, not, I'm not wallowing in, in, the, in something, but rather I have found that strength to be able to make a decision to experiment, well, maybe I'll, I'll just keep my hair gray or maybe I'll cut it. That's right. And I want to send some listeners interested back to a recent episode with my friend Caroline Cardenas, who is in a PhD program at Meridian University studying somatic psychology. And she wrote her master's thesis on the use of hula hooping and hoop dancing in the healing and the prevention of burnout in nurses. And her PhD is going to be her dissertation on the power of play, the science of play. And I'll be introducing the two of you soon. And I want to call people's attention to self-care comes in many guises. So Ed, we've talked about compassion fatigue. We've talked about compassion resilience. We've touched on soul. We've touched on the wounded healer. We haven't touched on this notion from your book of tending the soul's garden. We've talked about the difference between isolation and solitude. We've touched on so many different aspects of what it means to be a caregiver, to go from caregiving to caretaking, and how that's possibly a signal that something's not quite right. So, For the listener out there, the one listener, as we wrap up, she or he might be a nurse in an ICU or an ER or a nurse practitioner in a clinic, what have you. For that person out there who feels like they're heading in that direction, 
You gave your three steps, your surefire steps to eliminate the symptoms of compassion fatigue. Is there one other thing or one other concept or notion you would like to bring to their attention right now? I simply want to say you're not alone. You know, you're not mm -hmm. going crazy. You're not a bad caregiver. You know, you're just experiencing fatigue because you care. And, and when you care, you know, you're and you're sensitive, you feel all the traumas around you. And when you acknowledge that within yourself, that's the first step to transformation. When you acknowledge, gee, I'm, I'm okay, but I, I have this, this concern. I don't like using the word problem. I have this concern. You have the capacity to make it better, but you have to reach out to someone to help you. You don't have to do it by yourself. That's, you don't have to do it by yourself. We're relational. You know, we were created that way. And we can relate to ourselves, to others, and, the, and to the sacred. We have, to, we have to reach out, and we're not crazy because we ask for help. I think that's why I like the term wounded healer, because it recognizes we're not perfect. We don't have all the answers. We don't have to have all the answers. And if we're addicted to perfectionism, you know, we have to say, all right, time out. I'm good enough. I remember giving uh, an in-service to new employees, and we had a value of excellence. And I said, is there anyone here perfect? No one raised their hand. And I said, and don't you just hate those who think they are? <laughs> right. Or you just want to disabuse them of that notion and say, none of us are there. We're striving <laughs> for it. Maybe striving for excellence. And We're striving. And that's what excellence is. Right. And for those of you out there on Ed's business card, which I'm holding in my hand, it says, who are the caregivers? We all are. For the heart of being human is the capacity to care, to reach out to others, and to explore the relationships that we build. And Edward Smink, thank you so much for reaching out to me. And I'm so happy to call you a colleague and a friend. And I look forward to a long friendship and deeper conversations between you and me and many others I know who I'd like to introduce you to, to explore these issues. So thank you for your service and thanks for being here. It's certainly been a pleasure um, to be able to share the wisdom of my experiences that have helped me because I also went through burnout 20 years ago and I had to learn how to get re-energized. And I always say, and look at me now. <laughs> Thank you, Ed. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to this wonderful, special episode of The Nurse Keith Show, and there will be many more to come. Remember that the show notes will be at nursekeith.com forward slash soul of caregiving. You can find Ed at soulofcaregiving.com. He's on LinkedIn at Edward MPHD on LinkedIn, and we will make sure 
All of his contact information and social media and platforms are there in the show notes at nursekeith.com forward slash soul of caregiving. I hope you feel uplifted and empowered from this episode. I hope you feel inspired and I encourage you to take the action you need to take every day to care for yourself as you care for others. The Nurse Keith Show is adroitly produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting and Mark Cappiespeason, our stalwart social media ringmaster. Rob and Mark really keep the wheels of this podcast turning in the right direction. Stay safe, stay informed, and be the nurse and the human being who does the right thing for yourself and others in the face of COVID-19 and this pandemic. This is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico. Thank you.